Do you ever find yourself questioning if you're drinking too much? Do you find yourself scouring the internet for ideas on how to cut back? Do you fear that the fun will be over if you quit drinking? Decidedly Dry will teach you that you actually don't need alcohol to lessen your anxiety and stress. You absolutely don't need it to survive motherhood. And friend, you are absolutely not alone in this. This isn't just a podcast. It's a sober, curious movement. If you're ready to see how good life is beyond the wine bottle, you are in the right place. Hey, I'm Jess, a coffee slurping, messy bun wearing boy mom who strives to keep it real and bring a smile to your face. For years, I felt like I was living two different lives. By day, I was the fitness enthusiast, protein drinking mom who managed to get all the things done. But once the clock hit five o'clock, the cork was popped, the glass was full, and mom was checking out. This constant back and forth between fit mom and wine mom became utterly exhausting. I finally realized that in order to be the healthy, creative, joyful mom that I knew I could be, I needed to break up with booze. I created a plan that fit me, one that reinvented self-care, focused on the good, and gave me a life that I did not want to check out from. Now I am on a mission to help you create a life that you absolutely love. It's time to turn down the drinks and turn up the joy, babe. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's do this. Hello, my sweet friends, and welcome back to the show. All right, so as you can probably hear through your headphones or wherever you're listening to this, you can hear through the microphone that I'm incredibly nasally. So I'm sorry, bear with me. I've got this head cold, okay? But we'll get through this. (laughs) Today, for the first time ever, I have two guests on the show. I know, your girl Jess is turning into a big-time famous multi-guest podcaster. Crazy! In this episode, I will be chatting with Katie Mack, who goes by Mack, and Kimberly Kearns. These ladies are two of the creatives behind the podcast Effing Sober, The First 90 Days. Now, sorry, I know it's not technically pronounced effing, but you guys... My mom listens to this show, and I am pretty sure that there would be a big, fat soap bar in my mouth if she heard me drop the F-bomb here, so bear with me. (laughs) Mac is the producer of the show, and Kim is the writer for season two. Now, these ladies, these two, they are absolutely phenomenal. I think that a lot of you listeners tune into this show to hear people's stories, and as we know, People's journeys are so different and yet sometimes surprisingly the same. That all being said, I do feel like this week I need to, I don't know, not give a warning. A warning seems like proceed with caution, but I do just need to say that there are some heavier subjects that we talk about, that uh, there might be some heavier things that get mentioned in this week's episode. So I just wanted to give you a little heads up because maybe this is an episode that you listen to with your earbuds, aka don't blast it on the way home from school pickup and then get mad at me, okay? (laughs) Perfect. All right, you guys, you are in for a treat. You are going to love Mac and Kim. They have such good energy, and I am just so glad they came on the show. Here they are. Welcome back to the show, you guys. You are here at Decidedly Dry. This is Jess, and I have a very exciting show for you guys today. I have two guests, not just one, two. I've got Mac and Kim. Hi, you guys. Hey. Hello. 
I am so excited to have you guys here and get to know you. So I just want to say thanks in advance. This is really exciting for me. This is the part of the show where we actually thank you. And then we just, we call it that. We say thank you for having us on the show because we're really excited to talk to you about our show and be in your sphere. So thank you. I love it. (laughs) Oh, and you guys can't see, but Kim is a fellow closet recorder and I love it. (laughs) So it's... Oh, go very, ahead. very messy closet. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's mom life, man. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, you've listened to the show. We're just going to kind of dive in. And this is going to be a different episode, clearly, because we've got three of us kind of all jumping in at different times, you guys. So uh, it's going to be fun. But I'd love for you guys to start. Mac, I'll start with you if that's okay. Um, Please. Just introduce yourself. Tell the listeners who you are, where you live, all that good stuff. Yeah, my name is Katie Mack. Uh, I am based out of New York, New York. I'm 36 years old. I've been sober accumulatively for three and a half years. We celebrated my 3.5 year so birthday last Wednesday. Uh, I'm a big fan of celebrating all ridiculous things. Um, I, you will see me celebrating all sorts of absurd things because I think it's fun, which is the opposite of the person I was when I was drinking and drugging. I first started my journey um, as a, uh, I mean, I've been drinking since I was 10 or 11 and uh, I picked up heavier drugs, oxycodone and heroin, which I kicked uh, about tw- at, at 25, but I kept strong my alcohol journey for a million reasons um, and have relapsed a million times. So um, I'm just God's little gift and I'm just very lucky. Um, uh, my relationship with uh, God, I call God, God, Kevin. And if uh, you listen to season one of fucking sober, you'll know why. And really I'm here um, as the executive producer of fucking sober, which is a narrative serialized podcast about the first 90 days of getting sober. And, uh, I met Kim because I made that thing and then I needed more people to help make me things. So I'll, <laughs> I'll wrap that there. Yeah. I love it. All right. We're handed off to you, Kim. Um, okay. So my name is Kim Kearns and I am 40. I'm a mom of three kids and I live outside of Boston in um, Needham, Massachusetts. Um, yeah, I've been sober for like two and a half years. I stopped drinking um, during the pandemic, November, 2020. And yeah, I reached out to Matt or no, rather she posted something on Instagram, um, calling all writers. And it was, I was like three weeks sober. Um, and she was in the middle of releasing her season of fucking sober. And I submitted a writing sample. Um, I was so newly sober and just desperate for connection. And, um, I reached out to her and I submitted something in the middle of the night. I was awake, um, unable to sleep. And I sent her like a little bio and she responded. Um, so I've known Mac for over two years and she was one of the, one of my first sober friends. Like, you know, so I, real. yeah. And cause it was during the pandemic, I got sober, um, by joining sober mom squad and the luckiest club, so I didn't know many people, sober people in person. So she was, I mean, we've never actually met in person, but no, we know, haven't. One of the only people that I really talked to, um, cause I didn't have many sober friends, um, in my town. So here I am today, um, writer of season two, Betsy. And that was two years ago that 
I submitted that writing sample. It was actually December, 2020. It's just crazy. Um, so yeah, my story is, um, or rather Betsy is based on my story of getting sober and the first 90 days. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are. And also Kim has recently released, written and released a memoir called On the Edge of Shattered, which you can pick up at all your major retailers and or on Amazon. Yeah, we'll have all that obviously in the notes. So don't you guys worry. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I love a few things. Number one, I didn't know that you were part of Sober Mom Squad. I was uh, one of the hosts for a while in there. I, I remember. You I do? Yes, I remember one of the meetings that you hosted actually. Oh, I yep. love that. I love that. And I mean, talk about a game changer during the pandemic, having access to something where you can, you know, connect with people. I mean, that was a big thing. And especially just in your sober journey, like you guys said, like we haven't met in real life yet. Right. But I mean, some of these friendships are huge. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it would be very people would know that if I got hit by a car today that they should call Kim. I mean, it would happen because Kim would be like, Mac hasn't text me in 24 hours what should I do but it would be more people know how important Kim is to me so that was like that would be very yeah it's it is kind of interesting how um the some of these relationships are now actually genuine the the feelings that I have towards people I haven't met in real life um are validated thank you Mm -hmm. everybody because of the pandemic (laughs) so So instead of being totally crazy or being uh like catfished but again like you know, I'm a millennial and I, I grew up in the world of, you know, AOL instant messenger. And I had friends and where, where I thought was Canada when I was 14 years old, you know, um, you know, like, so this world, I think we've been pruned for this for a long time. And I genuinely feel close to certain people, you know, and you probably get this too, of people like listening to your podcast and then seeing you and you're like, I can't believe I'm in your space. You're like, Oh, oh I can't believe you're like a crazy fan that probably right? happens to you. Right. Jess. When, and like, I'm people such like, a doofus that I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like I'm literally sitting on a stuffed animal in my closet. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. By the way, oh. I, I am actually a geriatric millennial. So I too identify with growing up with AOL. I love it. I know you do. I know you do. It's my favorite place. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I want to hear a little bit of your guys's history with alcohol, if you don't mind. So maybe kind of like when you started, when it started to shift, how you dropped it. So Mac, you want to go first? Always. Um, <laughs> uh, just like me as the drinker. Um, I started drinking and drugging when I was 10, 11. It became, it was very easy, very quick. I was very cool. Um, a lot of people talk about how they weren't in the cool kids club. I always was. I was a cool kid. And I was super cool because um, I, I just, I, I would absolutely have access to everything at any given time. Um, and I had no issue leading a double life in middle school. Um, I was like, a, you know, I don't know, like a good student with, and like fake stole cars at night. Um, I loved that aspect of my life and I was really, really good at it until I wasn't, um, good friend of mine got killed by a cop when I was 16. It just expedited my drinking and drugging. Um, and my parents didn't know what to do with me. Um, and that just led to pill popping and drug usage. And I was just, I was totally, 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 um, uh, like uh, uh, prone for it. I mean, I, I was, I was, it was coming. It was, it was all coming. Um, you know, uncomfortable in my skin, um, desperate for attention, um, 
you know, always looking for my purpose, just like just every everything that you hear. Uh, I'm an AA baby. So people in the rooms, so that's the term I would use. Um, where it's like all just like very, very common, very similar. Um, but I think something to note is that I'm like um, I come from a middle class family. I am a cute white girl. And so every privilege was handed to me in order to continue to stay above water. And I was very self-sufficient. And so um, I absolutely, that that did two things for me. It kept me from uh, killing myself in the same way that like it, it didn't, it didn't expedite the drinking and drugging. It kept it on a certain uh, wavelength, but also it kept me sicker longer um, because I was a functional heroin addict. I don't know if you hear that a lot, but we exist. Um, a lot of us don't make it, but um, somehow uh, you, basically you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I don't know. It, honestly, it's just a, it's a combination of just sheer luck. Um I tried to stop drinking a year after I uh, stopped using harder drugs. And again, harder drugs to me, like didn't include cocaine. I was like, fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, anything intravenous uh, was not, um, it was not, not not acceptable anymore. I don't know the rules we make. Right. Um, And, and the, and I was like very, uh, really for me, I tried to stop drinking many, 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 many times whether it be every single morning I woke up or it was six months at a clip, three months at a clip, you know, I didn't have anybody who gave a crap if I drank or not. Why would they? I, I, and and no one, there were no telltale signs. I showed up to all my jobs. I made the money I needed to make when I didn't make, made the money I needed to make. I became a sex worker. That was pretty easy. It's really simple to keep a secret. And, um, uh, again, like no one's watching over me. Uh, I'm not, I don't have a very strong connection to my family. I have on again, off again relationships. And then probably when I got to the point where, and, and I started working, writing fucking sober after I had been sober for a year and a half. And I was looking for a podcast because I didn't have the attention span to sit and watch a television show. And I also just, I, 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 that like, I, Somehow, every time I went to AA, I like, couldn't stay. I couldn't stay. I was like, I was different. I was like more messed up than everybody. It was so dramatic. So uh, basically, uh, Fucking Sober came out of um, this desire to um, want to hear about somebody who was having a hard time, but doing it anyway, because that's the, the space where the magic happens. Um, and uh, I was, I started writing it when I was sober and I continued to write it while I was drinking. Hmm. I didn't finish it until I had gotten sober again. So I started writing in 2017 and I didn't finish it until 2020. Um, drinking does not help your writing. We can have a whole conversation about that. Um, I am an actor by trade and a writer by trade. And so these are things that come very naturally to me. And those are the things that pique my interest. And really at the end of the day, um, my desire to stop drinking and using drugs happened because I wanted to be an actor more than I wanted to drink and drug. And I knew I had to make the choice. Mm-hmm. And then by the very end, I had everything I could possibly have wanted. I had booked the shows that I had wanted to book. I had the partner that I wanted. I was going down the path of the things that we say that we want. And um, I remember going on a hike and I realized um, I was, it was, um, drink and die or stop. That was it. 
drink and die or stop. I didn't know what, what stopping would mean. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the easiest thing for me at the time was like, ah, oh, I guess I can still die if I stop drinking. I, it was like, it didn't take it off the table for me. And it really only now, one of the reasons why I love the idea of adding time and like having clean and sober time. And, and again, that that's just, this is just for me, uh, really not dabbling back and forth, not living in that gray, um, is I wait, my brain had to change. And so in order for my brain to change, I couldn't be going back and forth like those Mm -hmm. pathways. And so, um, yeah, like now, man, happy, joyous and free, like beyond my wildest dreams. It's, it's, I love my life. I have a super non-traditional life. I don't have a home. I don't have a partner. I move from job to job to job. I'm a a 100% freelancer and I have been doing this for two and a half years. Um, yeah, but that is, uh, for me at the end of the day, God willing, um, I cannot imagine having another drink. Mm-mm. I just, it's just, and, you know, and I really, really actually attribute to a bunch of things. One, all the stuff, all the stuff, but two, the world is changing. And not only did my friend groups and all that stuff change and my viewpoints about it. Um, but, uh, like I don't have friends who drink. I just like don't. Yeah. And, and I love, I'm like, I love AA. Like I love people in recovery. I think they're the coolest people ever. I love hanging out with them. And this is like all of my best friends are in recovery. I, so I just slowly, it sort of started to happen. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. So who knows, you know, God willing, just one more day, but I, I, it is, it is really interesting now to have the perspective of three and a half years, um, which doesn't feel like a lot of time. And again, I've been doing this for 10, trying to do this for 10 years. And, um, uh, I just, I really, I can't think of a reason why I would ever need to drink again. Mm-mm. I just can't, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many takeaways. I love Boom. that you hit a point where it was just like, it's one or the other, man. Like it was just like yeah. a fork in the road. It's like, okay, these are our options. That was it. That was, it was as clear as day. Yeah. And I also love that you said how much you love people in recovery. I had a guest on oh. one time and she was like, dude, I'm obsessed with people in recovery because a we're hilarious. We have the best stories. <laughs> and I mean, we're just so determined real. to be the best version of ourselves. period. You know, fighters, man. I, I, I just so it. co-sign on that. I love it. All right, Kim, you're up, man. I want to hear your story. <laughs> um, so kind of different, um, but kind of same. <laughs> 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 I love that you just laughed at that, Mac, but it is. There's some similar themes, but a little bit different. <laughs> okay. I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. So, um, you know, I had a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good childhood. Um, but I did start drinking at like 14. Um, and I feel like that part of it is very similar to you know, a lot of people say that start drinking in high school, middle school, um, you know, you do what you do to hang with the cool. Like I want to hang with Mac. I want to hang with the cool kids. Like I wanted to be part of it. And that was, you know, the social lubricant. And that was the gateway to hanging out with, you know, being accepted and whatever. So, um, I was a super shy kid and, um, you know, that, got me outside of my shell and that made me feel comfortable in high school and 
Um, same thing in college. And I went to a small liberal arts college in Maine, Colby College, um, you know, 1800 kids. And it was just insane binge drinking every weekend. Um, I blacked out. I remember the very first time I got drunk when I was like 15, I blacked out um, and pretty much blacked out every time I drank. Um, I, it, I just thought it was normal. And um, like every time I got drunk, I guess I, every weekend in college, I would black out. I wouldn't remember anything. And um, it was kind of a game we would all play on Sunday mornings at brunch, um, you know, piecing together the night and, I just figured everybody was doing that. And and for the most part, a lot of my friends were. Um, so I actually met my husband in college. And um, so once we graduated, I continued to drink heavily on the weekends. I became a teacher. We got married when I was 25. He was 27. He went to law school. Um, he had a pretty intense job. So he didn't. Yeah, we would get drunk on the weekends, he would always kind of pick up after me, clean up after me. I was always still blacking out, still getting way too drunk. Um, we had kids young. I was 28 and had three kids in four years. Um, so I stopped working. Back. We both like, just shook our hair. <laughs> so many kids. <laughs> so many too many. Kids. Too many diapers. Um, it was insane. Yeah. I, um, I stopped working to be home with my kids because I had a lot of babies very quickly. And my husband was working really long hours at a law firm. Um, we lived in the city in Boston and I found comfort in, you know, those boozy play dates with my friends pushing the stroller with bottles of wine in the bottom of the stroller, three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, that was you know, what we did. And I was pretty lonely because my husband, you know, come home late. Um, we eventually moved out of the city to the suburbs, same kind of thing. I gravitated towards people that, you know, would offer wine at playdates. If I would go to somebody's house that didn't offer and that mom didn't offer me wine, I'd be like, mm, I'm not going back there. You know, <laughs> I really enjoyed. Yeah. I enjoyed those types of people. And I, and my husband was the same way on the weekends. We would gravitate towards the more of the party scene. Um, and it just like it, it progressed. Um, you know, when I, when I was working before I had kids, I never really drank during the week when I was a teacher, I did not like going to work hungover. Once I had kids and I didn't, my boss was like my six month old baby. Like I didn't have to really get up and go anywhere. It was the hangovers became sort of, I don't know. It was just, that was just the way, a way of life, you know? Uh, and eventually, um, fast forward to, I don't know, 2020, I was drinking really heavily, um, pandemic and yeah. Um, by the end I was sneaking it and it was, it had progressed to a place of, to a really scary place. And yeah lying um over the years um so i stopped drinking when my kids were six eight and ten um so they you know my 10 year old was sort of aware like he would see me fall down the stairs drunk and things like that 
Um, but there, you know, the years leading up to when I stopped drinking, my husband had sat me down and asked me to, you know, sort of check myself and consider what I was doing and drink less. And he, he had always asked me, why can't you just have one? Like, why can't you just Mm. drink less? Like, why do you have to get so drunk? And he'd known me at this point for, you know, 20 years. And I had been doing this heavy drinking, always getting so freaking drunk. And I was always the last person to leave the party, you know, taking it so extreme, like just getting so wasted. And he was all and he just was like, why are you still behaving this way? you're almost 40. What are you doing? And he never understood why I couldn't just have one glass of wine. Like he did when he, he could have just one beer at dinner. He never understood it. And in his mind, Mac and I've talked about this, like sobriety was never, that was actually in our most recent episode. Sobriety just, he never even considered that as an option. Like he never thought that I would just one day say to him, I got to stop drinking. And he was like, Oh, okay. You know, and, and, and then all of a sudden I was just, I was done. So we can talk about that. Yeah, I think the similarity, yeah, we talk about this, but also this idea of like, it's like so weird to, or it's great, but it's weird to identify as sober and recovery. Um, Mm -hmm. and if I cut back to when I started, because, um, Kim didn't know anybody who was in recovery or, or maybe like tangentially, I don't know, like an uncle of an uncle. I don't even know if that's a thing. Um, but same thing for me. Like I didn't know anybody who was in recovery. So my first introduction to anybody who, you know, sought any help or wanted any type of, uh, wanted to dis- disillusion uh, their their uh, relationship with alcohol was just an AA. That was mm-hmm. it. There that was, was like, first there was no gray area for me. Like it was either, I mean, if you're in AA or in recovery, like you had a problem. Like there was a clear rock bottom. You were in trouble or you were a normal drinker. I had no idea that there was this middle, like where a lot of people got lost, you know? And oh my gosh, Kim, my husband used to ask me that all the time. Why can't you just have one? Yeah. And I thought I got super defensive, you know, like it was immediately like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. if I wanted to, I could, but I knew I couldn't. Right. So it was like, why was I fighting it? Yeah. Uh, uh. Okay. Well, and so what was... I want to know like what your guys' first week when you decided enough was enough, like what, what were you doing? What were you listening to? Like, were you in a program? Like what did those first few days look like? Kim, go. Yeah. Um, so I stopped November 28th, 2020. Um, and I, like I said, my husband had said to me many times, you got to stop or you got to slow down. Never. You have to stop. Um, and in my mind, I had kind of never really admitted, um, that I had, you know, a problem with alcohol. I never did the Googling. Am I an alcoholic? I never got to that point. Um, I did read a couple books and never finished them. Like I started Laura McCowan's book, I think that summer. Um, (laughs) that was the closest I ever got to like really in my mind admitting anything. So when I woke up that morning and, and I went to my husband and I said, you know, what would you say if I asked you to help me stop drinking? That was the first time I ever like verbalized in anything. Um, you know, I had kind of looked at myself in the mirror when I was super hungover and kind of just said, get your shit together. Like that was maybe like the closest I'd ever come to sort of admitting that I was not doing well, but 
when I said to my husband, like, I need you to help me stop drinking, there was no taking it back. And Mac and I talk a lot about this moment, but it really was a significant moment in my life because I, it, it really wasn't, there was no turning around. I had put it out there. Um, I think because once I had said something to my husband, he was going to, sort. I knew he would hold me accountable. I knew he wouldn't um, let it go. And I also just felt this massive weight that was lifted within myself. I think that I had um, been ignoring something for a very long time and I was scared. Um, but then when I finally said those words, I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been needing to do for a very long time. And I think I'm finally ready. Like, I'm ready. I can do this now. And and I don't know what it was that, and a lot of people ask me, like, what changed that morning? And I honestly don't know. I don't know what it was that morning, but I think it was just a moment of courage, you know, that kind of pushed me tiny bit over the edge to do it. And, um, and to say those words, I, I wish I had a better sense of, of, of what got me there, but, um, maybe it was just that, that phrase that, that you said, Mac, sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, um, I was, I was just in, it was that cycle of shame and regret that you, you wake up with every morning and I, and I had woken up with such an awful hangover and wondering where my kids were blacked out again, like not remembering putting them to bed and feeling so bad about it. Um, and so that day we poured out all the alcohol. Um, I made, I sat there and watched my husband pour out every single bottle of wine, like all of my favorite rosé like whispering angel like loved that wine and watched it go down the tree <laughs> when kim told me that her favorite wine was whispering angel i was like <laughs> suburban moms be different man <laughs> i was like you've never had whispering angel <laughs> i had to i had to google it i don't understand i still laugh at it it sounds, like, it sounds like a perfume. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It sounds like everything. It really does sound like a perfume. And I was like, I, I think I asked him to like describe it to me, which just made it worse. Kim and I, we, commu- we communicate a lot through Google Doc. And I and then like, you'll just get some like side eye from me sometimes. I'm just like, what is this? I don't know what this is. Tell me. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Kim. I, I interrupted you. I just, it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite. Cork. I don't know what it is. My favorite old cork about the old you. I don't know. We never knew. No, I know. It's so yeah, that week I I dove headfirst into this like new sober life. I just I I started writing and journaling like the next day. I within a few days joined Sober Mom Squad and Luckiest Club. I just started devouring books and blogs and I I knew that like that's just like who I am like I just don't do anything half-heartedly I just I'm just all in and um I had to because I had to hold myself accountable and I had to distract myself from the fact that all I wanted to do was drink I guess and so I was writing about it and I also wanted my husband to read what I was writing because I wanted him to understand what I was going through. Um, Yeah. So I started blogging like right away and 
he, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I just poured myself into this whole thing. Um, and yeah, that's why I reached out to Mac within like a few weeks because I was like, I had created a soap Instagram yeah. and, um, yeah. Awesome. So I was, I was, I was Minute. really determined to make it, to make it stick because I, I think I had just in my own way, um, was just at the end of my rope. I just needed, mm-hmm. I just needed to fix it. Yeah. yeah. I love it. All right, Mac, what were those first few days? Oh, I, which time Jess? Yeah. Um, I, I've been, I'm <laughs> exactly. teasing. no, I just, and I, and I say that because it, for me, it's a huge part of me telling my story just to remind people that you can do it again and again and again and again. And that I've also, I know tons of people. And when I say tons, I mean like tons of people who didn't drink for 20 years decided red wine was like a, you know, like a good way to end their night and they're dead because of it. You know, like, I mean, this is what, you know, the program affords you a little bit of like really good examples. Um, and, and when I, when I mean, like, I know people meaning like, yeah, these are people I literally knew. They're not just stories. Um, and we see it all the time because there are so many people that this, this thing called addiction affects. Um, and so I, you know, basically for me, it just, it, the only reason why any of it stuck, um, I think it's because I had tried everything else and I have, uh, I have borderline personality disorder. Um, and I was told I had, um, bipolar, like my whole life, again, very high functioning, which keeps me from getting any help. Um, the, the, the problem with being high functioning is that you'll continue to function. And, um, and, uh, and so for me, um, I was just, I was like the huge, 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 huge swings that would happen, um, in my personal life or with people that I love the most, meaning any close friends, family members, or lovers were, um, just incredibly horrifically toxic, <laughs> just like, and I was really tired of it. I yeah. was really tired of it. Um, and, and very, very slowly, like the first time someone told me that you didn't have to yell when you cared about something, I was 26. I did not know that if you cared about something, you could just talk about it. I needed to go to the school of AA and people who were older than me um, to learn how to be a human being. And I needed to go back to kindergarten like a bunch of times. Um, and and so uh, really just, I had just, the door was just cracked open enough And honestly, for the first time in my life, I was financially sound. For the first time in my life, I had a stable single partner. For the first time in my life, I could see me having a future with that partner. For the first time in my life, and I'm not with this person anymore. For the first time in my life, I um, had felt like some version of successful. And again, these are all arbitrary arbitrary things, but it was, I I had gained a certain level of self-esteem the person that continued to try again and again and again had hated herself from the time she was a very little girl. I don't, I, it's a friggin' miracle that any of us can make it out of here. I have, I cannot say the reason why, but basically, you know, I had a lot of things put in place. I accidentally put in place and, and I was very publicly sober when I relapsed, Hmm. I was very publicly sober. Like I, this is, I'm not, not Instagram before Instagram, but like I, now it's so, so much more prevalent, I think. Um, 
but I just, you know, I would talk about it. I was, I was very casual about it. Um, you know, uh, it, it, so it didn't matter. None of that mattered. Um, um, so just for me, I, I really think it was, it's this thing that I got from a sponsor versus just, I 1% wanted to not drink more than I wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it was that much. And then you just put the furniture in front of the door and you don't drink for one minute, for one hour, for one day, and you do it all over again. And you just, it's just, I don't know, man, it gets better. It has to, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't get better. I didn't stop having those mood swings when I got, I thought that alcohol was the problem, but my brain was so hardwired and I was mentally not well. Um, and so I still had these outbursts. It was crazy. So why would I have not gone back to drinking? I don't know. I cannot tell you. I do not know. It's because I needed that many times of having done the thing and having failed and having whatever. Um, and then also I just set my expectation really, really low. I was like, nothing's going to change when I stop drinking. I'm just going to not drink. That was the, that was what I sold myself. That was the, that was beyond my wildest dreams. But it was because I one day heard it in a meeting. I also, Kim knows this, I think, but I got sober one time in Portsmouth, Massachusetts. And I think that God speaks through Boston accents. It was like the most, like the, all of my time that I like really, all the things that like hit me the hardest were through people with Boston accents. And this guy had said uh, one time, he blew my mind. I'm sure people have heard this a million times if you're in the room, that he had a life beyond his wildest dreams and nothing was different. Because someone like me didn't deserve a life beyond her wildest dreams. But if I could have a life beyond my wildest dreams and still hate my life, I could do that. Everything for me had to be like so, so, so it had to be somebody who is just as messed up as me could do it. So I can also do it or whatever. I don't know. It was like there was no hopes and dreams. It was like lowest hanging fruit. And I just from one bind to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's it's crazy. It's just crazy. The fact that I am sober. Yeah, it's it really. And and again, like and it's. And I, I'm just so surprised this, this year, whenever I, I speak in meetings or whatever, I, I really, I cannot, I'm baffled at actually how my brain is different. Mm-hmm. The way that I see things are different. The the way I experience joy, my highs and lows are different. Um, that has to do with some, you know, some other sort of things. So I'm sorry. I didn't answer your question directly. No, it's just, I loved it's, it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it really, it, it, there's, there's a, there's, you know, Kim sort of uses like that moment of courage. That sort of for me, it's like the breath of God for a second. It's it is just like I don't know. For me, there's a lot of black and white because that's how my brain is. But people <laughs> borderline personalities are very black and white, and I like to and I also like to have fun. So for me, it's always I like to choose the most fun option. And it's almost like a little kid. I really do talk to myself like a little kid. And I'm just like, what's more fun? I'm like going to the party is going to be awkward. Talking to the people is going to be weird, no matter what, drunk or sober. Uh, staying here till 10 o'clock is I'm going to be tired no matter what, what's more fun waking up without a hangover. Totally. Oh, so all the other things are going to stay exactly the same, but it's going to be more fun in the morning Mm -hmm. because I'm going to get to make myself some breakfast. I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to have coffee with my friend. Oh my God. That's so much more fun. Exactly. That's it. 
that's it. But it, like, I had to go, I had to figure out like, what was the next, the next, the next. And, and before it was always about like the, my first feeling, the first it was like, I couldn't, I'm so uncomfortable. I can't deal with how uncomfortable I am. You know, I couldn't so get true. to the next step. Yeah. So I I'm, I'm, it's miraculous to me. Again, I am repeating myself because of how baffled I am that my, my ability, my patience, my resilience has changed, but it, t- it took time. It just yeah. really took time. And you learned so um, much during the journey, you know, and I mean, you are one of the first people that I had to chuckle a little chuckle. Who says chuckle? I had to laugh t- a little. I did. Um, when you said you put the bar, so <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing at myself, um, that the bar was kind of low, you know, so low. And I don't know. I mean, it worked though. I mean, I think by being realistic about it and just giving yourself something like this is going to suck. This is going to be hard. Like, well, isn't it like that with everything know? like dating? Like you're like, you're like, I have to have no, like you're like, I went out and I was like, I looked at his photo and I was like, he ugly. It don't matter. Now he's my husband. You know, it's like, like that's, <laughs> that's always it is. Right. You know, you're like, you're like, I went out, I didn't care. You know, that's yeah. all this stuff. When we put so much pressure on these things, then we start to, all these other things get attached to it and bog yeah. us down. I needed, I, it had to be this time when I get sober nothing's going to change. I had to prove it to myself. Right. You're not going to be happier. You're going to be miserable because if I could prove that I could still be miserable, then I could go back to, and I could kill myself really. Yeah. Then, the day. then I could just kill myself. That was it. If I could prove that it didn't matter either way, then I could just kill myself. <laughs> you and I think so differently. It is I know, like, it is crazy. <laughs> this is why. you were like i like the low hanging fruit like just gonna dangle from the lowest part of the vine and i was like i'm going to jump to the highest part of the tree kim's like i'm gonna be an author i'm gonna change lives i'm like i'm gonna write a fucking book (laughs) and look at all these like amazing surprises that came out of it it's so true like and then i think you guys are a prime example of like it's not a one-size-fits-all like you have to do it the way that works for you. So, you know, latch on to whatever story, you know, inspired you the most and go for that, <laughs> you know, but know it's going to be different. Yeah. So, well, that was a good segue into the, the focusing on the good. I love that. It just kind of appeared and that was where I was going. So I want to know big or small, like what's the most important thing? What are you doing right now? What is, what has been made possible you know, now that you're sober, I know we could talk about this for an hour, hours and hours and hours all day. But like, I mean, what are you doing now that you could not have done other than living? I mean, seriously, though, Kim, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the biggest thing is that I am writing again. I was a creative writing minor in college and I really enjoyed writing, but I stopped and I never, ever did anything creative, um, for so long. And, um, I think as a mom of three little kids, a stay at home mom, um, I just, I kind of felt stuck. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I had for a long time. I felt like, all right, this is going to be what I need to do. You know, I'm driving carpools. Like this is my role. This is my life. Um, I didn't really think what I was going to be doing beyond that. And, um, I always loved to write and it was a passion, you know, like I said, a creative writing minor in college, I had always thought about doing something with it, but, um, I never believed I could. And, um, it was sort of like all of my creative energy was 
you know, bottled up and stuck. And I didn't, it's not like I had sat there and tried to write when I was drinking or anything like that. I just had no desire. Like I had no passion for it. It was almost like it was gone. Hmm. But when I stopped drinking, it just all came rushing back. And um, that's been one of the coolest things to see um, and experience is that I've found that love again for writing and just that creative side. Um, So that's been really neat. And, you know, writing for this podcast and um, writing my book and publishing that has been one of the coolest things I've done. Um, Definitely wouldn't have done it if I were still drinking, obviously. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, I think that's, I think a lot of people discover that like this whole world of creativity that was just, it was there. We just didn't tap into it because we were too busy getting lost in the bottle, you know? And then once it's gone, it's like, oh, I have all this magical time that I could do all these amazing things now. So (laughs) what about you, Mac? Uh, it's such a good question, Jess. Um, I have two DUIs. Uh, college skated by, so I have I have a certificate in performing arts. So you know how valuable that is. Um, and I was a heroin addict. Um, I now I, I bought a car with my own money. I travel the world, and people pay me for it. I'm getting, um, I have a, an actual, like, um, like I'm being commissioned to write something that is going to be produced off Broadway. This is insane. This is actually insane. I have a credit card in my wallet on behalf of a company I work for. (laughs) Idiots. They just gave me their credit card. They don't know. Like, I used to steal purses out of coat check. Y'all don't know. Like what? <laughs> Beyond my wildest dreams. I used to brag about how I was going to kill myself before I was 17 and die young. This is all borrowed and extra time. But the really the biggest gifts of sobriety have been the things that I've been able to stay sober through that were the hardest. My friend getting murdered. That was the worst thing that has ever happened to my soul and uh, to him. Obviously, he's dead and staying sober through his funeral and being able to grieve him for the past year and a half is the best gift of my life. If I had been drinking during that, it game over. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot imagine. uh yeah, I, I just cannot imagine the trust that people have given me and the friendships I have made. And honestly, I thought the cycle would never end. I bet my goddamn life on it. And I I I put myself to the test. And so for me, the good is the cycle. The cycle is done. I am not a totally different person. Mm-mm. No, but I know how to be honest. I know how to call myself out. I know to identify what I'm feeling. Uh, my God. I don't scream and yell. I don't throw things. I don't cut my wrist. I don't put cigarettes out of my arm. Uh, right. I do cut my own hair, but that's intentionally. And it's not you guys pandemic. Okay. But I, <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean, I really, it is 
but uh, but uh, but the cra- the uh, the crazy thing for me is that like people from middle school are like I always knew you'd turn out like this. I'm like you did because I should be dead. <laughs> like what do you mean? Like I always knew that you would like you know flourish and be some version of whatever they think successful looks like because of Instagram. Great. Like I'm I'm no one. It's great. <laughs> but um but like you know like when they want to say something positive they're like you know I saw you know I knew that you would be this thing. I always knew that you would be this thing. I had no idea. I had no idea. So um, the good for me is, is, is beyond. It's just beyond. I'm able to like really flex so many things. I'm in a really healthy, uh, non-monogamous relationship. I am bisexual. I get to, again, like be who I am. It's just I, the best slash sometimes the worst because sometimes I'm not the best, but you know, I can change that at any point. Um, so really, uh, I, I don't know, but ask me tomorrow and I'll be like, I don't know, no reason. Cause life sucks. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Like ask me, on the, ask me today. Yeah. Right? Caught me at a good time. <laughs> oh yeah. You really did. This morning was a little iffy. I got to tell you, I went for a bike ride, got some vitamin D, you know, got out of myself to train somebody else. Um, so yeah, but Aww. I, I just, I can't help but emphasize it enough because it's just like, man, if for any reason you're listening to this and you're thinking I'm going to go back to drinking, just don't, just don't, just don't. That's simple. <laughs> Come on guys. <laughs> we, we need you. I know. Yeah. Um, this has been so good and I don't want to wrap it up too fast. I want you guys to tell me a little bit more about the podcast. I want to know where people can find it, how the, a little bit more about how the idea came came about and what people can expect if they head over and listen to an episode. Great. I'll take it real quick, Kim. Um, fuck, fucking sober was, uh, I made season one to make season two because I want to tell other people's stories. Um, I made season one. I went first season one is a sliver of my story. It's a narrative story. So it's like listening to Netflix. So if you hear people walking up the stairs, we hear them walking up the stairs. Um, it is a fictionalized, I, I, I call it um, mostly non-fictional, which means that it's partially true. Um, it's like, it's the same sort of thing of being like, um, based on a true story. And that gives us some creative license. And and, at the, and all I wanted at the time in 2017, we didn't have anything like that. All I wanted was I didn't, I could not listen to people do like the person who's on this podcast now, if I heard her in 2017, I'd be like, she can go kill hers. I hate her. I hate her. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. So it's just that space um, of not, you know, not doing well, but doing it anyway. And that's what that I, I made it because I wanted it. That was, I made it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned how to sound design because of it. And the magic of fucking sober, um, is that I knew exactly what I was going to write about. So I wrote it and then, um, it just took me a long time cause I was drunk for a lot of time. And, um, I, and then I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with music. And then I realized that, oh, the fibers of the show, uh, are, are woven in how things, how, how we make things matter. So every single person that touches the show, um, is either in recovery or has, some relationship with recovery. Um, all the music is from artists in recovery and or tangential to recovery, uh, their own story. And so every single moment of music that happens, boom, of a guitar, of a drum is from an artist in recovery. I pay all of my voiceover artists. I pay all of my associate producers. I pay all of the musicians for their time and work that comes out of my pocket. 
Um, and this is because I needed it. That was it. So if anybody else can, you know, rock and roll off of it, that's great. I made season two. I made season one to make season two. Season two got postponed. Kim was supposed to be season three. Season two is we're still working on season two. Mm-hmm. Um, we've now just swapped the names. Um, season two, uh, originally now season three is Cynthia Wright's story, black, queer, uh, cisgender woman from um, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, advertising firm, successful. Um, and we just need more time. And Kim and Cynthia has started writing at the same time. And uh, just just because of time and energy and whatever, um, Kim was ready to go and I was ready to make the next season. Yeah. And for me, it was just a matter of um, uh, understanding that everybody needs to be able to see themselves and, and hear the story. And so there's just, I just literally plucked one person's story and said, here we go, let's give you a megaphone. Yeah. And let's also talk about narrative storytelling. So there is a lot of teaching that happens, not just with my, we had story developers that I paid for Kim to sit with for a year. And, um, and then, and then also, you know, what is that? It, there's, there's story structure that's supposed to happen. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily happen um, unless we focus on it. And at the end of the day, um, I, I was super, super honored that I got to be in a space with somebody who was not just so willing to share and be vulnerable, but to write and to rewrite and to commune and to chat and to uh, fight and to fight for the things that she believed in the person that she is. And in the meantime, we had written so much stuff uh, that we didn't end up using. And it's not, it's not, Edge of Shattered isn't a tangential fucking sober, but it had started that this idea, right, Kim, that like you were writing so much stuff and you were just like, I'm going to write this fucking memoir because I couldn't (laughs) keep up with how much she she I couldn't keep up with how desperately she wanted to write. And and so it just became its own its own thing. But um, but I really, um, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm not a sound designer. I learned how to do sound design on YouTube. Mm hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I just know that it's, it's like, I don't know if, if let's just, what are we going to do? Not make it right. That's what, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, what are I, we going to do? Not make this. Like that should be my tagline. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not going to not do yeah. it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, bless you too. There's only, right. I have borderline personalities where I have two <laughs> options. It's either do the thing or not do the thing. I'm going to not do the thing. Yeah. What? That's how I felt. That's how I felt with my book. Cause literally I was, yeah. So like I said, Mac and I met two years ago and she was like, all right, yeah. Like start writing like this episode one. And I think I wrote that two years ago and I was like, and then, um, yeah, like things happened and we took time off to do this. And then since we were, you were working on Cynthia's season and whatever. Um, but but I literally had so much fucking shit to say. Like I wanted to keep writing, writing, writing. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to write a book. Like I'm while you're waiting for me, Mac. Yeah. I'm just going to write a book over here. I'm just it was gonna great. Boom. It was you're so writing. cool. <laughs> um, but She's a badass. What was cool was when I was working with MJ and Dylan, the story developers last year, I was also finishing my memoir. So they were, you know, I was able to sort of use some of, you know, that time with them to, um, you know, apply some of the strategies they were teaching me to my, um, to my own writing in my book, which was great. Um, so it's been a really incredible experience working on this podcast. Um, I've learned so much 
And yeah, I didn't know anything about this kind of this type of writing. Um, and memoir writing is very different from this, this type of what do we, I don't even know what it's called. This Podca- writing, writing for the ear. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so good. It's been really, really great. And I, I absolutely love it. I'm really sad that we're on the last episode. I know it's wild. I mean, I think, I think for me, I, I really didn't want the barrier when I did out a call for season two to be uh, that you had to be a uh, like completely fluent in writing for the ear. Like I didn't want any barriers. I just wanted like the desire, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, the desire to write the thing, desire to stop drinking, desire to write the thing to be enough. And, and then be like, yeah, anybody's, everybody's teachable. And anybody's teachable. You have to, but you have to be willing to share and we have to be willing to do some things. And, um, and for me, I was, uh, mommy wine culture is a whole world of wildness that I will never experience guys. I will know it's brand new to me. So, um, being able to open the door and allow me to step through and learn about it was really, really, really interesting. And then it also allowed me to ask some questions. Cause that was really helpful for me running season one. I asked a lot of people who were like, not sober. I, a lot, yeah. We're just like, wait, but isn't it like, a, isn't AA a cult? And I was like, okay, let me talk about this. Okay. Well, like, I know what I'm going to write about. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. <Sit> like, <laughs> like legit, like legit, legit, legit. Let me just, let me just, uh, let me unpack this. Like that makes sense, but let me unpack it. So, um, yeah, the, the fibers underneath fucking sober, uh, are a bunch of things that I believe in, which is just basically like, um, we can teach anybody to do the thing. There's no co-opting like culture and co-opting, um, uh, creativity is not a thing. Uh, it's totally teachable. And then you have to put it into practice and then that we should be making it financially sound. The only reason why I was able to make season two is because we had enough donations from season one. And then now I'm fronting season two. I'm hoping we're going to get more donations mm-hmm. and that uh, we'll be able to make season three. And that, um, really the, the underlying fibers of fucking sober, this narrative podcast with like fake drama and all this other stuff really is that it is made by every, it's made by people who not just function in recovery or in sobriety, but they thrive. They're living, mm-hmm. breathing human people who are writing songs, not about sobriety. They're writing normal ass songs about going to the grocery store, being in love or whatever. And we're putting them into the show. And that's what we do. And that they should be rewarded for the work they've already done. So the show to me is, is um, it, it hits all the mission statements that I think I wanted to hit. Um, yeah. And whether or not, uh, and then like whether or not it's good, we'll, we'll find out later down the road. So I, 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 I like it a lot. I like so it a lot. Exciting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, don't you guys worry when you're listening, I will, uh, or as you're listening, I'll have all of that in the show notes. I'm going to have a link to, to where to listen, how to get in touch. I want Kim's book on there. So don't you guys stress. It'll all be in the show notes. Um, I would like to end with my favorite question. And so, uh, Kim, I'll ask it to you first to the one person or many that are listening to this right now and feeling inspired to make a change. What advice can you give them? God. I know. Just, just one. <laughs> I hate this question. <laughs> oh my God. And I feel like you just asked me this today, Mac. Like what advice? I did. Mm-hmm. I literally did. One thing. You, you literally did. And I botched it too. She didn't botch it. I was just like, mm, try you're like, you're like, that sucks. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that answer uh, could go a little deeper. See sober friendships super supportive right what was the question (laughs) uh just 
a word of advice, somebody that's sober curious, oh, what, what do they do? Um, okay. Um, listen to the voice. Don't ignore that little voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, grab onto that. <laughs> She's ready. <writing it> down. <laughs> <laughs> I ignored that voice for way too long. And, but at the same time, when you're ready to listen, that's, that's telling that's, that's the time when you're ready to listen. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. Cause we all hear the voice. Yeah. We yeah. all hear the voice. So listen to it, listen to yeah. your gut, listen to God, whatever it is, wherever it's coming from, there's truth to that. So, all right, Mac. What's your one piece of advice? I like to plant little seeds for future me. I like to be like, future me is going to thank past me so hard right now. You know, like when you do the laundry or put your socks away or you meal prep or you go for that run or you sign up for that race, you're like, damn, future me is going to be so excited that past me did this stuff. And that's just what keeps going forward for me because daydreaming was not an option. Thinking about the future was not something I ever thought about. And so I just, you know, I, I wonder, like, if you have the opportunity to sort of high five future you, what are you, what are you doing now? Like, you know, like, how do you set future you up? And, uh, I think it might be as simple as that. Maybe on, on the right day. Could might might be as simple. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. All right, my friends. Thank you again. We already said our thank yous in the beginning, but we got to end with more thank yous. So thank you so much, seriously, for coming on the show, for being vulnerable, for sharing your story. Um, I appreciate you, and I wouldn't have really great show. questions. Thank you. thank you so much for those really thoughtful, loving questions. They really um, think for me, maybe even for Kim. They really remind us why we choose to stay sober right thank you guys so much this has been great you're so welcome have an awesome day thank you guys for listening and check those show notes okay thanks dude bye